You're listening to the Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com All right, friends, welcome back to the broadcast. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network at republicbroadcasting.org. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and I'm coming to you from the sunny climes of western Japan here on the 18th day of December. Tw- 18th? 18th day of December? Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Three days until the end of the world! The end of the world! Aren't you all excited out there for this? Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Well, what am I going to do to prepare for the end of the world as we know it? Well, I suppose I'll just continue broadcasting as usual and uh, cross my fingers that the world doesn't suddenly just explode in a big fireball on Friday. Um, yes, here we are. We're finally at the cusp of this uh, Mayan tr- uh, prediction. In case you guys out there haven't heard of it, yes, supposedly the world is going to end on December 21st, 2012. Or at least that's what the December 21st, 2012ers were saying for many, many, many years leading up to this year. But of course, in the months and weeks leading up to this event, it suddenly sort of morphed into, oh no, it's not going to suddenly end. We didn't mean that. It, me- it means that there's going to be some sort of drastic change that might begin on December 21st, 2012. And surprise, surprise, as we approach this date, the prediction starts to get more vague and nebulous until there's really no way to disconfirm it because, well, we don't know exactly what types of cosmic ripples are going to happen on December 21st, 2012 that may manifest themselves days or weeks or months or years or decades later. I mean, how can we know precisely what's about to start happening in the universe on that date? So we can see, as I'm sure everyone could have guessed, as the actual date approaches, it starts to get more nebulous until there is basically no way for this prediction to ever be proven wrong. Oh, no, that's not what we meant. We didn't mean the world was going to change exactly on that date. Sigh. And yet, just as has happened with every big doomsday prediction on such and such date, the world's going to come to an end. And when it doesn't, it still doesn't actually stop people from believing in the prediction. And I don't quite understand that phenomenon, but it is a phenomenon and something we should be aware of. And there has been various different attempts to deal with this 2012 doomsday sayers. And, well, I'm sure people have seen in recent weeks, for example, uh, NASA, I believe, has even posted up something about how how the world is not going to end and having scientists, you know, giving, expounding on the reasons why this is all bunk, etc. And uh, if you live in China, you might be one of the unfortunate 100-plus people who have actually been rounded up and detained because of spreading 2012 end-of-the-world rumors. And you can get that from ABC, but I take it from stratrisks.com. Politburo paranoia. China detains 100-plus people for doomsday rumors. And this is talking about Chinese authorities having uh, rounded up over 100 people, part of a fringe Christian group who are, I guess, predicting the end of the world on Friday. And they've been detained by the Chinese authorities. Well, there you go. Well, that's a bit drastic, isn't it? I don't think anyone needs to lose their freedom just because they happen to believe in something of a silly theory. And hey, as with any other theory, I am perfectly willing and able to be proven wrong. So if the world does end on Friday, you all have my sincere apologies for not doing enough to 
tell you about it beforehand. Again, I'm not even really sure what the point of these uh, doomsday prophecies are, because if the world's going to end, there's not much you can do about it. I suppose the only thing that would be different between uh, knowing the world's going to end on Friday and knowing it's not is that, I guess, in the intervening couple of days, you can go crazy and do what you want, because there's going to be no consequences, or so the doomsday sayers would have us believe. Well, as you can tell, I'm highly skeptical of the prediction game that often gets played and often gets played up around this time of the year, of course, as we head into the new year. But having said that, we're actually going to make some predictions uh, for 2013 in this episode. Well, how do I reconcile my skepticism and then the asking you to be credulous in, in some of my thoughts about the coming year? Well, let's talk about some of those issues, because I think there's a lot to uh, to chew on tonight, th- talking about the turning of the year and what's lying ahead for the world, assuming there is a world by the end of the week. At any rate, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back after these messages. Once the damage was done, then suddenly crumbled. One day in Manhattan, clear as could be, till the planes hit the buildings, changed history. Welcome back to the program, friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio. Once again, I'm your host, of James uh, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com, where you can find my podcast, interviews, articles, videos, and even this radio show. And the show notes for tonight's episode and every episode of the broadcast, where you can find links to all of the articles and videos that we talk about and play here on the broadcast. And tonight, we're looking at the year ahead, 2013, assuming there is a year ahead and the world as we know it doesn't end on Friday, which, I don't know, I'm going to go out way out on a limb and just predict that perhaps there will be a world on Saturday. And uh, I guess I'll be able to give you guys a heads up, because we are uh, several hours ahead of you here in Japan, so I guess I'll know before any of you do if the world actually does survive into Saturday. So uh, so I'll be I'll be the lookout for you guys, and I'll let you know. Assuming there is a Saturday, my uh, subscriber newsletter will be coming out then, so I guess I can let you know at that point. So if you are subscribed to my newsletter at corporatereport.com slash support, you will, you will be one of the first people in the world to know if the world actually still exists on Saturday. But anyway, let's, uh, let's get into some of this. Again, I'm highly skeptical about this, uh, December 21st, 2012 stuff, as you can tell, but again, that doesn't mean that I'm right. I mean, certainly I'm willing to be proven wrong, and I suppose we'll see, but once again, I'm uh, not only skeptical of things like this, I'm skeptical of the way that the story constantly morphs and changes, so that first it's getting people worried about the end of the world on December 21st, 2012, and then it's some sort of nebulous change in the world that's going to happen at that date, and then it's actually, well, the, the change is going to start on that date, so we might not see any of the effects on that date. And as I say, as we get closer and closer to the date itself, it starts to disconfirm itself and make it basically unfalsifiable. And an unfalsifiable prediction is not a prediction at all. It's absolutely useless and completely uh, completely just gobbledygook, basically, because, again, it can become anything anyone wants in retrospect. And what really is the point of such a prediction? And uh, I don't know about you guys out there, but I think it's actually picking up steam in terms of the, the, the frequency with which we're being presented these end-of-the-world scenarios. Before, you'd have to wait years, maybe even decades, between the end-of-the-world doomsday predictions, but now it seems they're 
cropping up every few months. We just had the uh, end of the world rapture scenario by Harold Camping and uh, the, his uh, followers just uh, several months ago, didn't we? And now we're here on December 21st, 2012. And hey, guess what? The next doomsday prediction is literally just around the corner. In fact, it's already pretty much upon us. December 25th is now going to be the date where the world changes because now there are people prophesying a nuclear false flag that's going to happen on December 25th. And some people are pointing to Phoenix, Arizona as the place where this is all going to happen. And once again, you'll forgive me for raising my skeptical, quizzical flag about this, because, hmm, I think, uh, well, again, when it comes to these types of predictions where people are predicting very specific events on very specific dates, either they are part of the, the plan, they're in on the plot, or they are basically just making things up. And I will be perfectly willing to change my mind on this once I see people actually starting to predict false flag events both in nature and detail and date ahead of time rather than retroactively looking at an event and saying oh well um, because there were a lot of nines and elevens in the numbers of the, uh, the the words that make up pentagon and things like that on 9-11 clearly that meant it was all a numerological thing well uh, um, I think there's a lot that we can say about people's tendency to uh, be able to rationalize things after the fact, but that's very, very different from being able to predict things before the fact, and uh, there's a lot to be said on that point. And this is not, of course, to say that all prediction and all talking about trends and the way things are going in the future are uh, is, is not a useful activity, is not something that we can or should be engaged in, because uh, heaven knows I've certainly done a fair bit of that myself over the years here at the Corbett Report. And as one example, I've dug a clip out from the archives of last year's end-of-the-year edition of New World Next Week that I did with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. Of course, as people know, we have our weekly chat about what's happening in the world. And at the end of last year, we had our end of 2011, beginning of 2012 retrospective slash prediction episode, New World Next Year. So let's listen to a clip of my prediction for 2012 from the beginning of that of, of this year. And James, I think we're kind of running out of time. So so what oh, we are. Oh, wow. Well, time flies. All right. So basically um my my idea for the, a trend for 2012 is censorship. I think censorship is going to become more and more of an important issue in in all sorts of different ways, but of course the one that's on everyone's mind right now at the end of 2011 is the SOPA Act and there's the Protect IP and and I'm sure even if this gets defeated, uh, they'll they'll bring out something else again and again and again. It's a war of attrition and it's really there just waiting until we finally give up fighting and uh and i'm not sure it's going to happen in 2012 that that definitively the internet will be changed forever but i think that's going to be more and more of an issue and something that's going to be more and more in the media and in the spotlight and getting attention and uh not just censorship in the in the straightforward sense of of but also all the different types of tricks they've been playing over the last year of uh of uh, ice trying to take over websites and redirect domains and things like that so there's all sorts of different ways they can do it and i also think the manipulation of information is going to start becoming more more blatant over the coming year in the various ways that they uh they they will start to try to massage and manipulate stories uh even in more more and more blatant ways so i think just the the manipulation of information and the censorship of access to that information is going to be an extremely important trend for 2012 and one that i will be keeping my eye on at the corporate report 
Now, I know what you're thinking out there. Now, where does James Corbett get off telling us that these predictions are all bunkum and then going out and making predictions of his own? What's up here? Well, I would like to posit that there's a difference in kind between the types of predictions where people say that a specific event is going to happen on a specific date and then people reading the tea leaves, as it were, to take a look at trends that are developing and to talk about where those trends are heading. And I would, for a big, bigger, better fleshing out of this idea, I would point people back to my podcast on CorbettReport.com, speci- specifically episode 70, which I released back in January of 2009, where we talked about this idea and some of the uh, predictions that have been made and why uh, it's it's uh, good to keep a skeptical sense about specific predictions of specific events on specific dates. But for general trend forecasting, certainly that is possible because often we know from the uh, their own writing, their own words, what the so-called self-appointed would-be elite want to do. They want to start world government. They want to drive us into uh, regional currency systems that will uh, eventually link up into a world currency. They want to make uh, currency digital. They want to uh, they want to basically manipulate the world in all sorts of ways that we talk about here on the Borough Program basically every single day. So I think we all know where the world is heading, generally speaking. Of course, it's a question of how we get from A to B, and those are the specific events that can be the trigger. And, uh, well, I mean, just take a look at that 2012 prediction that I made there, at, again, at the beginning of the year. Uh, how did I do? What, what do you think? Uh, talking about censorship on the Internet being a trend for 2012 and an increasing trend over in the coming years. Well, uh, of course, at the end of 2011, when I was sitting there making that prediction, there was still a lot of talk about SOPA and PIPA, which were still making their way through Congress and the Senate at that time. And as people might be able to cast their minds back and remember, those bills were eventually defeated due to popular backlash. And, of course, even some of the biggest websites on the Internet getting on board with the blackout and things like that. So the PR was just too much for them to handle and to pass something like that at that present time. So they kind of gave up and retreated on those specific bills. Yay, victory, right? Well, of course not. Of course, on the exact same day that they withdrew SOPA and PIPA was the exact same day that they went and raided uh, Kim.com's luxury palace there in New Zealand and uh, seized the mega upload domain and all of the files that that service was carrying, including the perfectly legal files of the customers who were using mega upload for perfectly legal reasons. All of it were seized by the U.S. government and remain there to this day. So that was a big, um, well, big middle finger, I suppose, to all of the public that had participated in that campaign to try to stop SOPA and PIPA and a big, big old way for the U.S. government to say, hey, look, we don't need no legislation. Who needs no? We don't need those stinking badges. We just do whatever we want, and so uh, that certainly kept the uh, the censorship trend going. And uh, then we saw, of course, the ACTA global treaty getting some attention. And once the attention and the spotlight started to turn to ACTA again, they turned tail and ran on that. And it didn't end up really getting ratified enough in enough countries to to come into effect. And then we saw the, uh, well, we still see, of course, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is sneaking some of these uh, copyright, quote-unquote, provisions in that will uh, supposedly crack down on the dreaded scourge of digital piracy. And, of course, we also just recently saw the UN trying to pass an international treaty that would see individual governments uh, be able to basically more effectively restrict the Internet in their individual countries. 
And the latest on that is that the U.S., Canada, and Britain have all uh, basically put their their kibosh on that idea. It's not going to go ahead. So we've seen certainly the censorship battle continuing all throughout the year. And I think it is going to continue even into 2013 and beyond, because, of course, the Internet still remains the Wild West of information, where information is still somewhat free, still freely available. So, of course, they have to crack down on that any way they can. So that's an example of how we can take a look at what's developing and just predict the trend. But, of course, I can't predict specifically what events are going to happen on what dates just by reading the tea leaves, looking in a crystal ball, and consulting the astrology charts. That's not, I think, how it works. And, again, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but I haven't been so far. At any rate, if uh, if you want to get in with your ideas for 2013 and what's coming in the year ahead, the phone lines will be open 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. Let's take a short break, and after the break, I'll be back with my own ideas for what might be developing for 2013. So hang on right there. We'll be right back. We bound them all for their prosperity, their freedom and democracy. All right, friends, welcome back. We are back here on Corbett Report Radio, and tonight we're talking about the year ahead. What is in store for 2013? I have my own ideas. I'm interested to hear yours. We already have one caller on the line. We have Ken in Virginia. We'll go to him in just a second. The phone lines are open, of course, 1-800-313-9443. But just before we go to your calls, I would like to get in my own idea for a trend or something we should be keeping our eye on. And I mentioned this exact article last night on the program, but let's bring it up again because I think it does actually indicate an important well, an important development that's going to have some pretty big ramifications for 2013. This comes from Bloomberg.com. It's Abe shift on BOJ shows Volcker moment may loom in Japan. Once again, reading from the beginning of this article, quote, Japan's incoming Prime Minister Shinzo Abe backed the central bank when it raised interest rates in 2006, a move he now says was a mistake. His shift may signal less tolerance for deflation in the third largest economy. Abe, whose party swept to victory in elections for the lower house of parliament two days ago, will have the chance to reshape the Bank of Japan next year when the terms of its governor and two deputies expire. Abe said he, he told Central Bank Governor Masaaki Shirakawa today that he wants an accord with a 2% inflation target. The BOJ is forecast to boost its asset purchases as soon as December 20th. This is one of the most important monetary policy events for 2013, said Bruce Cosman, New York-based chief economist at J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., the firm ranked by Bloomberg Markets as the number one global economic forecaster. It could potentially be similar to the major change in U.S. monetary policy after the appointment of Paul Volcker. All right, we'll end the quote there. Uh, I'm sure people who have been around the block for a while will probably know about Volcker and uh, what he did to the American economy during his time as the Fed chief and the incredible inflation that we saw under his reign. And so that's what they're looking to bring to the Japanese economy. And for people who don't know, long story short, Japan is still nominally the third largest economy in the world, but has been uh, just crippled by deflation and recession 
for the last 20 plus years since the popping of the 1980s asset bubble. And it's been a vicious cycle. And every time the uh, the Japanese government and the Bank of Japan have basically loosened monetary policy to try to get the uh, the economy going, every time the inflation starts to kick up and deflation stops, they raise interest rates and, and it basically squelches the whole thing. So it's been locked in a deflationary death spiral for two decades now. And they've flirted with quantitative easing on and off for the last 20 years. But as I say, every time they open the spigot, as soon as it starts to show some effect, they turn the spigot off and it just contracts up again. So now it looks like the new prime minister who was really swept into power uh, the LDP, the old traditional ruling party of Japan in, in the post-war period, is back in power with a handy supermajority in the Japanese diet. And now that the uh, the governorship of the Bank of Japan is coming up for renewal next year, it's uh, looking like Abe is going to be holding all of the ace cards in this deck as to the future of Japan's monetary policy. It's almost certain that they're going to start devaluing the yen as much as possible, probably starting this week. And we're going to see the the yen racing towards the bottom, which of course is going to mean that markets around the world, other currencies are going to have to react. And they're going to start racing towards the bottom to keep up with the yen. So we're going to see the currency wars that have been playing out behind the scenes starting to kick into gear in earnest in 2013. That is at least one of my bold predictions for the year ahead. And it's not so bold because I think the writing is on the wall and it's just a continuation of a trend. But then again, I think that's what good forecasting is really all about. So once again, the phone lines are open if you have your own ideas for 2013, 1-800-313-9443. But right now we've got Ken in Virginia waiting patiently on the line. So Ken, thanks for calling in tonight. Yeah, yes, uh, James. Uh, I don't know if, if, if in your busy schedule you've had time to, to read the uh, two monster volumes by Diana Spingola. Michael Collins Piper says uh, she's a top historian. Of today, and of course, uh, through history, we we uh, get uh, an idea what's go- going to happen in the future, uh, including even before 2013, uh, uh, and even Sean Hannity today, uh, uh, who is a terrible neocon, was was uh, making some good points about uh, what uh, what they, uh, the the uh, House Speaker should do, and uh, uh, Boehner, and I. Uh, and saying that I don't think he'll do it, but if he doesn't do it, he may not end up as being speaker. Of course, in which case we'd have Cantor, which is which is a terrible thing. But but at any rate, I wanted to uh, and uh, one thing that Michael Collins Piper has not mentioned, which is so so impressive, is that the the second volume uh, they're they're both written in uh, two uh, thousand and twelve. The second volume, The Ruling Elite, The Zionist Seizure of World Power, has, uh, this is unbelievable, 1,998 footnotes, uh, as well as, uh, as well as an index. And I mean, the scholarship is impressive. And I, uh, and if the book is, uh, the, the uh, well uh, printed, 780 pages, and, uh, I encourage everybody to get it. It's a, it's, it costs about uh, um, uh, twenty eight uh, uh, twenty. It's close to well, it's close to uh, around thirty bucks. But it's it's, it's definitely uh, it's for for any uh, student who's and it's going to take me because I'm a slow reader. Uh, maybe maybe it'll take me a year to to read it. But uh, it contains such 
jewels is the fact that Ronald Reagan praised both B'nai B'rith, which was a founder of communism, and also he praised the anti All right, Ken, we're coming up against the break. We're going to have to leave it there. I do appreciate the suggestion, and I hope people will check that out. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. It starts with you and me. It starts with you and me. We all can be heroes if we take the lead to change the bad to good, to live in harmony. Okay, friends, welcome back. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. And tonight, as I say, we are talking about 2013, predictions, the year ahead, trends, what's coming, etc. And, of course, it is, as the last caller in Ken in Virginia there was making uh, apparent, it is definitely a question of knowing history and knowing historical facts that will help us to understand what's likely to come in the future. And I couldn't agree with that more. I think there is a lack of historical knowledge that's been bred into us, unfortunately, and that is very much at the root of a lot of our problems, because once again, you find the more you study into history and the true and suppressed history, the more you find that some of the solutions to a lot of the problems that we're facing were figured out long ago, and we have to refine some of those solutions. And on that note, people might want to check out my most recent eye-opener report on the idea of self-issued credit as a solution to the monetary crisis that is at the basis of our worldwide economic crisis. Because, of course, underlying the economy are these pieces of paper that we call dollar bills or yen or pesos or shekels or whatever you might have wherever you're living. And that is really the base of the problem. And it's a problem that's avoided, very specifically avoided, by people like Paul Krugman and the other so-called Nobel Prize winners. Although the Nobel Prize for Economics is not actually a Nobel Prize, although most people don't know that. Anyway, I cover all of that in my most recent eye-opener report, so I hope people will go and take a look at that and find out more about the monetary solution of self-issued credit, which again is a very, very, very old solution that can be updated with modern technology to make it even more effective for our current day and age. But having said all of that, once again tonight we're also trying to, uh, well, at least put a skeptical, uh, quizzical glance at some of these predictions of doomsdays and other scenarios that could be just around the corner. And as I always like to stress, well, it certainly could be just around the corner. We certainly could see a false flag attack at any time. And just as 9-11 was the day that changed everything in quotation marks, because of course it didn't really change anything, it only gave the power structure an excuse to accelerate their agenda. Of course, we could see in the wake of whatever next false flag might be waiting in the wings, uh, the people uh, who unfortunately are in charge of the system will just accelerate the agenda even further. So I think we do have to be aware that false flags are always a possibility, always the ace card up their sleeve, because they, uh, the public is so often willing to fall for them, which is why we're trying to inoculate people with the truth about the way real false flag terrorist acts work. But having said all of that, I think we can get caught up in getting obsessed with trying to predict the next doomsday and, oh, it's going to be Christmas Day in Phoenix, absolutely. And then when that doesn't happen, we can all just move on to whatever the next doomsday is supposedly going to be without ever bothering to question, A, how we're trying to arrive at this information, B, whether we're turning people off by constantly crying wolf when, in fact, no wolf appears, and see if, in fact, we're not disempowering ourselves by falling into this trap of constantly 
waiting for the next big thing to happen. We have to wait for this end-of-the-world scenario to play out, and that's when a real battle can begin and we can fight for our liberties, etc. I think there are a lot of people who genuinely want the FEMA camp roundups and whatever else to actually begin so that they can then have the excuse to, well, now it's started and now we can do something about it. And, of course, that's because we've been trapped in the in the idea, in a false mindset that, again, has been inculcated into us of false solutions to these crises. The only way to win this battle is to imagine it as a battle where we all have to take up guns and shoot the bad guys and then everything will be better again. Of course, that's a false solution based on false premises, and it will lead us nowhere good. And in fact, while we're waiting for this end-of-the-world scenario to happen, the actual collapse and everything that they've engineered is already taking place. And that's the mindset that we have to understand, that this world is the world that we create and that we allow to be created. Either we have personal agency, which we exert each and every day in the world around us by choosing what to do, choosing who to associate, choosing what to spend our time and our money on, choosing what to create and choosing what to ignore, or we are just passive recipients that are waiting for the next big doomsday scenario to play out so that we can have some sort of role in this unfolding historical agenda. And the choice is ours, because you choose by inaction. You choose every single day whether or not you want to do something positive to create something better in this world, or whether you want to sit there just reading about false flag attacks that may or may not be coming you know, in the next week or two. And literally... The, the point to all of this is that we choose what kind of communities we live in by creating the institutions that could survive whatever type of doomsday scenario is coming along, or we choose to live as slaves, basically waiting for the powers that shouldn't be to commit whatever false flag psyop operation they want, and then rounding us up, up into camps. And you can choose to, to live in that mentality and just basically sit there waiting on your posterior for the next big false flag to happen, or you can be the type of person that decides that we are in this together and we better start reaching out to our fellow countrymen and women, and in fact, people around the globe, because this is the time when we still have at least a semblance of freedom to be building up the communities that will survive the collapse that is already taking place. We don't need to wait for some big false flag scenario to start and kick all of this off. And it's a question of personal agency. And on that note, I want to direct your attention to an incredible video that if you haven't seen yet, I hope you will. It's called December 21st, 2012, What Will You Do? It's been put out by our friend Dan Dix of Press for Truth. It is an incredible video, and it's uh, I'm glad to see it's garnering a lot of views and a lot of support online right now. So, of course, the link will be in the show notes for tonight's episode. This is not exactly what you would expect a December 21st, 2012 video to be like, but let's listen to an extended clip from this video because I love the way it plays out. So here is December 21st, 2012, What Will You Do? by Dan Dix of Press for Truth. We're curious as to what people think, or if you've heard, or if you have any thoughts about this date, December 21st, 2012. The Mayans predicted the, the end of the, the world, of course. Uh... I I don't believe it. Oh, that's supposed to be the end of the world? Some say. <laughs> well, I've heard it could mean the end of the world, according to the Mayans. You're referring to the Mayan calendar, the end of the world? I think it was just probably serious for the Mayans at the time, but I think it has no relevance to today's society. I don't think the world's going to end. 
in December 2012. Well, apparently the world's supposed to end, so... Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So this is supposed to happen, what, 2000? The world's supposed to end now. 12 years later, you're going to say it again? It's not going to happen, right? Just like what they said about 2000K, and um, everybody was sort of all in a panic about it. It's the same thing. I don't really believe in that. I don't really think that will happen. I think it's Y2K all over again. And I think... Um, I actually read an article that if they had factored in leap years, it would have happened last July, which means we've already survived it. The world is not going to end on December the 21st. You think the world's going to end? No. I've never heard nothing about it yet. <laughs> I think basically it won't be the end of the world, but it might be the end of a, um, a social consciousness. I think it might be the beginning of um, the time when people learn to... Ah, just learn to be better and learn to be more peaceful and all that. That's what I think. I think it might be an evolution of thought more than an actual physical end, you know? I consider myself a witch, so people ask me about this all the time. And I think what it is is a collective end to this consciousness that we have. Like, let's be honest, we live in dark times. You have to be crazy to think this is the best humanity can do. So I just feel like with technology and that advancement, that we're ready to embark on a very new way of living. That's the death. Personally, I'm not too worried about it because, uh, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ and, and what the Bible says about it is that no man can know when God's going to return. No, no man knows the, that day. So that's one secret you can count on, you know, so I'm not worried. I've made plans for the 25th. So, you know, I've, I've got to keep going. Uh, no, they uh, they had something else in mind. Uh, I'm not sure what it was. I, I don't even think their prediction actually predicts the end of the world. I think it's been misinterpreted. Besides, we've been married 50 years, and we're going to go for 75 now. Well, there you go. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I, I agree with you guys. Um, but let's say hypothetically now, let's imagine that everything were to come to an end here on December 21st, 2012. What would you have to say about this experience that you've had that we call life? Oh, I've had a good run. Oh, wow, that's a good question. Wow. Yeah, I never thought about that. Life's been pretty good to me so far. I'm playing in two separate bands right now. Triton and Access as a plug. Music is my life pretty much. My family. I've been recently married. It's been up. It's been down. Uh, but I wouldn't trade one day of it for anything. I mean, I have two wonderful kids. I know some beautiful people. I've had some amazing experiences. You can't take it too seriously because you're not going to get out alive, right? Well, it's going to get gone as long as it's lasting. <laughs> I've experienced a lot of different things, so I don't know. I guess twist their own. Well, there's good and bad in anything, and there's happy old and then there's down there, but it's about what you make of it. There's still so many experiences that you want to experience, obviously, but I'm good. I'm happy. <laughs> You. My family and friends. My family, my wife, um, stuff like that. You know, money, love, you know. No, that's a good question. That's a really loaded question. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I guess doing the right thing, standing up for things I believe in, trying to have a bigger purpose or... Um, I guess participation in something bigger, more meaningful, and 
social justice or community or whatever that could be. Well, life motivates me. Uh, to see people happy motivates me. Helping people. That's the main thing that I like to do. Um, I, I speak a lot about helping people move their lives forward, getting the life that they always wanted to have. That gets me out of bed in the morning. What makes you happy? God, what makes me happy? Oh, God, you've got some big questions here. Um, oh, just family, uh, having a good time, laughing, uh, health, vitality, you know, stuff like that. No, nothing, nothing, no material, you know, no products. Products don't make me happy. Spending time with my wife, my children, and being up on stage. That's about it. Search for truth, I guess. Just observing people and life in general. Just living. Yeah. I wake up every morning and I do this. And if I don't thump wood on either side, I'm good to go another day. Seeing others happy makes me happy. When the people around me are happy. My friends, my, my house, my my boyfriend, fiancé now. Um, I got to travel a lot this year, so that that's nice. What is one thing that you think everyone should do? Maybe at one point in their life or, or just something that everyone should do. What everybody should do once in their life man travel maybe travel to maybe a third world country maybe see how the other half of the world lives travel definitely visit a new place and obviously falling in love yeah that's important every day in their life they should tell the one closest to them that they love them that's right okay yeah we yeah. never end a day without saying that yeah. uh that's why we've been married almost 52 years i suppose and uh, once in a lifetime, uh, well, you Maybe find the one you want to live the rest of your life with. Stop and, like, reflect and really look into yourself. Become self-aware. You know what I mean? First and foremost, become aware of, of your thoughts, of your emotions, of, um, you know, the truth that's inside of all of us. Everybody on the planet should do one thing that scares the crap out of them. Everybody should. Something that you've always wanted to do but we're afraid to take that step believe in god yeah I'm, I'm quite a believer in god so i think everybody should believe in god be grateful for what they have and give thanks to god for every day that they're living and appreciate others around them maybe do something nice to someone that they don't know maybe do something nice that they don't get credit for that might be something that someone should do at least once in their life do you have any suggestions for uh, what would be a good random act of kindness that people can do? Um, helping somebody who needs a hand. Help out a homeless person at least once. Um, they've probably seen some rough stuff in their life, and you know, even I don't care what the money's going for; it's their choice. But when they're asking for help, I think you should help them. I don't know. Maybe I'll give a homeless guy a dollar or something. I don't know. First homeless person, I'd give him some change. I might buy a uh, newspaper off one of those uh, street guys, you know, like those street newspapers. I think just listening to someone's story for five minutes and trying to heal them in that way would probably be what I would do. Helping people in the back, even um, talking to somebody. Help somebody across an old lady across the street, pick up something somebody dropped, just something small that might give somebody a positive attitude. If you could help somebody in some sort of way or maybe in, in a random act of kindness, maybe right now, in the next one minute, right around here, would you would you accept that challenge? Wow, you're good. You're good. 
All right, friends, I'm going to let you go and actually listen to and watch the end of that video for yourself where they actually get some of the people out there actually doing some of those random acts of kindness, just simple things, holding doors for strangers, giving strangers some directions, but uh, doing something positive instead of just talking about the end of the world, actually doing something to make the world a slightly better place and Hey, why not? Maybe the world is going to end on December 21st. Maybe it's going to end on the 25th. What do I know? But at the very least, at the end of the day, isn't it important what we can say we actually did while we had our time here on this planet? Isn't that more what we want to think about than trying to worry about what's uh, what's going to take place now, this doesn't mean, of course, that we shouldn't be prepared for di different scenarios and that we shouldn't have uh, the ability to, to prepare for ourselves and to take care of our loved ones. Of course we should. But having said that, of course we want to also build up this world into a better place. And either we are helpless, passive recipients of history, and history is something that happens to us and happens around us and is decided on by the, the, the so-called elite who like to think they're in charge of this system, or this world really is 99.99999% made up of us, people like you and me, just average people who every single day can make a difference in this world. I don't know about you guys out there, but I know which of those two options I want to believe is the case and which one I'm going to work towards in my own life. And we all have to figure it out in our own ways, but at any rate... If we have the wrong mentality and if we have the wrong idea and if we're constantly focusing on the wrong things, then it's pretty easy to control us and to make us all a ba basically just a big herd of cattle to be controlled. And, uh, well, we might be uh, sheeps to the slaughter by, by choice, um, if not by force. And that's probably the most scary of all the possibilities, the way I see it. So anyway, I'm basically here tonight to tell us that 2013, to a large extent, is what we make it, what we choose to do, what we choose not to do, whether we choose to engage with the world around us or simply to wait for things to happen to us. So it's uh, it's an open book at this point, and we're going to write the story of 2013 in the coming months, and I hope you'll be there with me. At any rate, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to wrap up tonight's episode right after this. friends we're back we're back here on corporate report radio and we're in the final waning minutes of tonight's broadcast talking about the year that was and how that leads into the year that will be as we approach 2013 and start knocking on the door of the the coming year and of course there's a lot that's happening in the world a lot that's going to happen over the next year some of which we'll probably be able to see in you know coming down the line and other things which will take us completely by surprise i mean who would have predicted something like 2012 or some of the other things that happened in the past year probably no one and that that's pretty much the point we can't predict with infinite uh, foresight and clarity <clears throat> but again, as I'm trying to make clear tonight, the most important thing is the legacy that we leave on this planet. And it's important what we do today, what we choose to do with our time on this planet is much more important 
than what we choose to worry about and sit on our, our posteriors just sitting there waiting for. And on that note, I would uh, like to thank my producer, Dan, who works busily behind the scenes, twisting the knobs, pushing the buttons, and making sure that uh, everything's going out A-OK, as he does every single night. And uh, just my personal May I just once again give my personal thanks to all the producers and everyone who behind the scenes actually makes all of this function and makes me sound good, which is uh, no small feat, I think. And he shared this uh, quotation from uh, Apollo astronaut Edgar Mitchell that uh, reminded him that he sprung to his mind during that video that we were just listening to from Press for Truth. And this quotation is, uh, you develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world, and a compulsion to do something about it when looking down at the Earth from up above. From out there on the moon, international politics looks so petty. You want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck and drag him a quarter of a million miles out and say, look at that, you son of a bitch. And that's pretty much the way it is, isn't it? Uh, there is a perspective that we can gain on events by simply, by simply stepping out of the, the 24-7 news cycle media saturation that we are constantly indoctrinated in and taking a look at the bigger, bigger, bigger picture of what's happening and what we can do, what our place in all of this is. Because again, ideas start with individuals, and they they can be developed into things that spread throughout human civilization, and they can change the course of history. And you and I are not passive recipients of that. We are all actors in this grand play that's taking place on this world stage, if you want to put it in those terms by the great bard himself. So on that heady note, once again, we are here and we will be documenting things in the coming year. So I hope you will be staying tuned with us here on CorbettReport.com. And on that note, I don't know, I can't make specific predictions about specific things that are coming in the new year, except for things in my own life and related to my own work. So on that note, I do have a pretty big announcement about the future of CorbettReport.com and what's coming in the coming year. It's a pretty big change. I don't think it's necessarily a good change or a bad change. It's just a change. But I'll be announcing that on the program here on Friday night. Until then, we'll be covering some news and uh, leaving the phone lines open for any, anything you want to talk about tomorrow night. And then on Thursday night, we're scheduled to have Brock West of APPerspective.blogspot.com on to talk about all the latest of the news that's happening here in Asia. So that's it for me for tonight. And once again, I hope you will continue to follow the work that's coming out at CorbettReport.com. Of course, again, all the RSS feeds, all the information is freely available. You can subscribe to it through iTunes or what have you there from the homepage, CorbettReport.com. Until tomorrow night, I'm your host, James Corbett, wishing you all an excellent, wonderful night. Again, it is what you make it. So, so everyone out there, thank you for listening and take care. <laughs>